0: All right, welcome everybody to the next episode of Whiskey. I'm your host, Ushi, and with me, I have Philip Wiley. Welcome. Hi, Ushi. How are you today? Good, and yourself? I'm doing wonderful. I'm super excited. I've been looking forward to talking to you all day. I feel like, I feel like we know each other, but we don't know each other, because this is the first time that we've actually talked live, not on Twitter or through a DM or something, so this is exciting.
1: Yeah, same here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to meeting in person. But you know, COVID's kind of I know,
0: COVID is COVID's messed everything up, man. We're not uh, we're not getting to I you know what though I feel like I feel like in some ways COVID's brought a lot of us closer together because um beforehand I wouldn't have thought to do a Zoom hangout with people, you know? And then COVID kind of forced us into like everybody was freaking out and like we're all isolated and it kind of forced us to almost grow our network. Like I've gotten to video chat on Zoom with like so many people from all over the world. So in those ways, I'm, I'm thankful. But yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to when we actually get to meet in person again.
1: It's had some silver linings. I think all the virtual stuff's been good because you know most people don't get, a lot of people don't get to go to DEF CON in black hat. So they had the opportunity to do it virtually. And so people will get to see if it's something they want to do in person. Yeah. Kind of like last year, everyone was thinking, you know, when DerbyCon was ending, what are we going to do next year? You know, everyone thought that was the worst worry is not having def- DerbyCon, but. Right. we not have anything.
0: And then we were like, oh my gosh, are we going to have any conference ever again? Yeah, it's been crazy. But it, I, I agree with you. Like, with all of the virtual conferences conferences out there, I feel like there's a conference almost every weekend. So like if you want to, you can find those and and it's cool because, you know, there's there's Discord chats and there's, you know, like you're getting to get a lot of information that you wouldn't normally get to have. So or get to experience, and for people who can't afford to go to conferences outside maybe their hometown, or, and especially for those who live in small towns, like I think that's been really awesome for people to be able to experience.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty good model with Discord that Black Hills Information Security came out with. They yeah,
0: absolutely. I do like those guys over there, they're so nice. I got to meet them um, last October at Wild West Hackenfest in um, uh, Deadwood, South Dakota. And uh, such such nice guys, so much fun. So, well, before I start asking you a bunch of questions, since everybody loves to know like what whiskey we're, we're drinking each podcast, um, so what I ended up doing was I decided, I know you're not drinking, so what I decided to do was, um, what I did when I, when I talked to Thinker was I was like, all right, well, since... I love thinker and he's one one of my favorite people as are you um, so I, at that time i picked what one of my favorite whiskeys was and so this time i decided to go with another one of my favorites so i picked old forester 1920 prohibition style which is like becoming super difficult to find um, my uh, my friend up in in new hampshire said he couldn't find a bottle in the entire state so he was looking at um, going to uh, Vermont, which isn't that far from him to, to find him a bottle of this, but um, it's really, really good. So, and it's one of my favorites. So that's what that's what I'm drinking. A What's that? A bottle. It's a super cool bottle. I love Old Forester because like all of their bottles are exactly the same, except the label's a little bit different depending on what it is but I do I love them. They don't fit in my I had I had a I had a cabinet that was my liquor cabinet, but like my bottles have started to outgrow it. It's only so high and now I seem to be getting these super tall high like bourbon or like scotch bottles and it's pretty it's pretty funny. So, for people who are under a rock and and don't know who you are, like you are so many different things. Um like some of my favorite things have nothing to do with, with InfoSec at all. Um but of course like you um you founded correct Pwn School?
1: Right.
0: And so which is a is a um a way for people to learn like pen testing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so do you do like uh, I know there's a lot of online stuff with Pwn School and people can go to what is it, Pwnschool.com? Yes. And it's PWN school, right? For those who aren't, and then um, like so, and then of course you know, like my favorite thing that I I know about is is you wrestling a bear, which are like totally opposite ends, right? Yeah. Tell me, tell like tell me other things that you're involved in.
1: Well, my day job is uh, pen testing. I'm a red team lead for a global consumer products company. I've been pen testing for a little over eight years, and I'm also an adjunct professor at uh, Richland College. Well, now. Dallas college, formerly Richland college. And that's one of the things that I like to help people. So I got into teaching January of 2018 and I've always wanted, I spoke at a conference in 2015, but I really couldn't think of stuff to speak at speak about at conferences. So when I started teaching, you know, a lot of people want to get into pen testing. So I have a talk on how to become a pen tester. So just sharing that information, how to get into pen testing, As well as, you know, whenever, before I started teaching, I did a lot of mentoring and sharing information with people. So it allowed me to do that on a broader scale. But that was one of the things that gave me to present on and just really let me do something more of me, what I like to do. Because it's interesting. I was reading an old, went back and I'd shared an article from Powerlifting USA, an old Powerlifting magazine with some people recently. And I just kind of looking through some of the questions and one of the things in there I'd mentioned that I like helping people. And so this is just another way for me to help people. And one of the things I've kind of thought about not too long ago is, you know, as a power lifter, I'm getting older and it's hard to be competitive. You know, you get to a point where you just can't get stronger anymore when you get older. Right. And then as far as like a hacker, you know, it's hard to be the best hacker. But one of the things I thought, you know, some people make better coaches and teachers and right. I've kind of settled into that's my role of being the mentor, the coach, the teacher. And you know, it's one of the things, there's a lot of people better hackers than me, but I feel like I'm probably one of the better teachers because, you know, my heart's into it I'm passionate about it and I like to help people and I'm pretty good listening.
0: That's so awesome. I, You and I have so much in common. I love helping people and um, like it's, it's almost hard sometimes. I get a lot of DMs from people who are asking questions and I have a hard time like just turning away anybody and, and not at least trying to help them in the direction to find where they need to go. But, um, so that's, that's so cool. So how long has Pwn School been around now?
1: Uh, July made the two year, two year anniversary. Very cool. And I host two different meetings. They were physical, but fortunately around the first part of last year, uh, I started streaming my classes. And so I also started streaming the Pwn School meetings. And so when COVID came along and the social isolation, because no one was open for you to host meetups at, I just continue with virtual and it really worked out better because I would have to go set up a computer in and in a, you know, a projector in a restaurant or something. So I was able to con- continue with that. So it's been a little over two years. It was actually in, uh, inspired by a couple people from the Dallas hacker uh, scene. Uh, there was a couple a young couple students that wanted to take my class, they were at a different college. They tried to transfer over for the summer class, but they couldn't get things in in time, so they weren't gonna get registered for my class. So, I, and prior to that, some of my students' class were getting, was getting ready to wind up, and they said, What do we do next? You know, the college doesn't offer any more pen testing classes. So, I kind of thought about getting together just unofficially, just on the weekends or something to teach them different techniques and, and different types of hacking. And so after these two students weren't able to get in my class, I thought, you know, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to come up with a way to offer education to people. You know, it doesn't matter if they got money or not because it's free and then it's open to anyone. And so that's how Punk school got started. It was just purely all pen test related. But over the years, you know, other presenters had, you know, topics to speak on. You know, there's a lot of people trying to get in the InfoSec industry. So we've kind of expanded beyond just pen testing.
0: I think that's so awesome. I'm curious, since now that it's it's been virtual, do you find that you have like a higher attendance rate because people don't have to get out and go and show up? Like, do do you find that you're you're getting more people, the same, less?
1: It could be, some cases about the same because the very first ever phone school meeting we had we had a hundred people show up. Oh birth- wow! And that's because you know I'm pretty well. uh, Involved in the local community, I'm a member of Dallas Hackers Association, and so uh, Whiskey Neon that does their audio video. He was my very first presenter. He presented on how to build a home lab. Very cool. And so a lot of people came out because they knew Whiskey and they were supporting Home schools. since we just get started up. A lot of people were curious to what it was going to be like. And you know, after that, most times it was like maybe 50 people, sometimes as low as 20 people. But the turnout hasn't been too bad. Virtual wise, it's actually increased. Uh, we had uh, John Helmus on Monday and on, on Wednesday. And he spoke at the DEFCON Red Team Village. And so he did his talk. We had like 50 show up, which is a really good turnout for a virtual. So it's kind of gotten better. But one of the things I do like is the fact that people outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth area can attend. And so that's been nice.
0: Yeah, I got to attend um, a few weeks ago and I was super excited because I I have so many friends on Twitter who are part of Dallas Hackers and, or in that, you know, that, that area. And so I was super, like I've been talking about wanting to take a road trip out there to like attend, like, and to plan it so that I could attend some of the meetups that you guys have. And, um, and so I was really excited to get to just even, you know, hang out and listen to you guys talk. So that's, that's super exciting. I think that's so cool that we are able to kind of expand, you know, the borders and it doesn't matter where you're from now. You can, you can attend that, the meetups. That's, yeah. And, and, and I feel like there's so many amazing minds in the Dallas area. Um, so it's super exciting to be able to, you know, log in and, and hang out with you guys virtually.
1: Yeah, it's really nice. And if you ever get, once things get back to normal, we can meet in person, You'll have to come back during Dallas hackers association because it's the first Wednesday of the month it's like a mini conference because they have captured the flag a lock sport set up they have fire talks so you've got just about everything you would have at a conference and it's at a, a Korean uh, karaoke bar nice it really got a pretty cool vibe to it I mean it's just you know it, it was pretty interesting because there was Three main locations that Dallas Hackers has been in. This is the last one. And I mean, there, there's usually at least a hundred people there, sometimes up to a hundred and thirty or more. You can barely even move around the place. Nice. And several years ago, or a couple of years ago, I guess it was, Popular Mechanics did a, a a article on Dallas Hackers Association. And the title was if you want to be a hacker, move to Dallas. Nice. We had someone fly in from Mexico. <gasps> That's so the, cool he was interested in becoming a hacker so he flew up here because of Dallas Hackers he created a Twitter account people are coming in all the time uh, Dallas Hackers was the inspiration of Austin Hackers Association and Wirefall the founder uh, one of his contracts was in Austin and so that's how he started uh, why he started Dallas Hackers Association but this is like grown so much and he always inspires other people to start their own so there was a, a young man in the area that moved down here from like West Texas or something. And he really got involved in the community, got his OSCP and moved to New York, working as a consultant and then started his own group. So there's a lot of groups that get spun off out of Dallas Hackers Association because you know their experience here. And actually, you know, that was kind of a big influence for Pwn School. I saw what Wirefall did with Dallas Hackers because I've been a member since it started out in 2013 and just saw what it did for the community, the opportunities, there's been a lot of A lot of speaking careers launched from Dallas Hackers Association. A lot of careers started. So it's really good. The nice thing is, too, is it's a friendly community for those wanting to get into it. It's friendly towards newbies. We don't experience the gatekeeping thing. If they don't, then those people are just not welcome here anymore. And it's a good place for people that want to learn and want to help others.
0: I love that, too, because I feel like... I feel like I feel like there's a good mix and I think people should definitely like if they can find a meetup near them they should definitely check that out um and if not start one right like we've Mm -hmm. all started somewhere and and I love when I get to meet people who are so open and friendly and everybody that I've talked to from the Dallas area that's involved with Dallas hackers is just amazing people like it's like you and I think it's one of those things of, you know, birds of a feather flock together. And, you know, when you have like amazing people out there, amazing people will gravitate towards that. And I think that's so awesome because I know how difficult it can be to um, to get into this this community and like, you know, well, not in the community, but like to get into this field and not have an outlet to learn more. And when I, when I started in my career, I started in law enforcement and I did digital forensics. And unfortunately that group of people where I was living was not the most, um, you know, forthcoming with information. Like nobody wanted to share information. I used to joke that they thought that it was going, that the that the knowledge would fall out of their own head if they shared it with someone else, and when I got into, um, I and that was really just kind of that area because I, I did get to do some trainings um, with the Secret Service that had a, had detectives from all over the country, and um, and that was was great. Those people really like to share information. But then when I got into like infosec, infosec holy cow, like it, the world opened up and it's it's amazing to me that like, there's so many people out that, that are willing to share their knowledge and um, and I'm the same way. Like if I see somebody tweet a question of, I'm trying to figure out this and, and I have the time and the knowledge enough to be able to help them out, like I'm, I'm like, oh, let's, let's help, you know? Yeah. I, I tweeted the other day, I, I was having an issue with a PCAP and I tweeted something, and and I mean I had like help in like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I had I had exactly what I needed. I was able to figure out what I was trying to do, and it was all for work. And like it was just so awesome that um, you know our community is like that. And I and I'm I love when I find people who are like that too that want to further that and foster that. And I think sometimes people are worried that they don't know enough. And so they aren't um, skilled enough to help another person, and I think that's—it's so inaccurate. Wouldn't you agree?
1: I agree because the thing, there's a couple things you got to look at. Whenever you're always going to be, even if you're just getting started, you're always going to be one step ahead of someone else, and you can share that information. And you
0: bring you bring with you knowledge and experience from somewhere
1: else yeah you have different ways of looking at it one of the things you see too is you know I might have been pen testing for eight years but someone I'm mentoring or I taught they're out there they're learning so they're doing a lot of research they're doing a lot of education and they're going to find things that I missed because I'm maybe not looking as hard as they are and so we always got something we can share with someone you know we can always learn from someone no matter you can be the most senior and learn from someone that's just getting started
0: Absolutely. I think that's, that's probably one of the things that I learned personally coming into this because in law enforcement, you know, you have people who um, usually when you've been around longest, you understand the, um, the law the best and you understand kind of all the ins and outs and like it doesn't, law doesn't change as nearly as, as much or as frequently as tech does. And so you know, you I got into the habit of just trusting the people who had been around me longer. And when I when I switched over into the private sector and started as a stock analyst, like it was really crazy for me to see like these like you know sock analysts that would come in after me and like they just you know they had a whole different skill set and the knowledge base than what I did. And it was funny to me when like the stock analysts that that have been there for longer than I did would say, Hey, do you know how to do such and such? And I did know how to do such and such. And it was like, or they were trying to figure something out and I had some tool that I knew of or had used before that they hadn't. And I think like, I love that. I love when we get to share our knowledge and learn something new. Um, Yeah. I just, I think that's so exciting. And I I think that people who are brand new and think that they don't have something to contribute, don't just give yourself a little like try and put that out of your mind because you absolutely do. Like, I think that's, it's so, it's so important. So, um, so one of the things that I, I like to do is I get a lot of people who are brand new to the community who, who listen to that podcast and, a lot of them want to know, how do I, right? Like, how do I, and, and it's kind of why you started Pwn School, right? How do I get into pen testing? So like you, you said, so Pwn School is free. And is there like, when you go to your website, like, is, like, can they go find videos that are already out there? Is it only meetups? Can you tell me a little more about it?
1: Yes. If you go to the website, there's a link to our YouTube channel. and Our YouTube channel has all of the previous recordings of talks that's been done at Pwn School. There's also a link to Slack. So we have a Slack channel that there's a lot of people in there helpful, been in the industry, all different areas of security that want to mentor and help people. So it's a good place to share and ask questions. And so yeah. What, if
0: you're, what if you're, is there more than just pen testing? Is it mostly focused on pen testing or is there other parts of security that people can learn about as well?
1: There's all sorts of areas. We had someone do a talk back in February on becoming a SOC analyst, and that's been one of our most popular talks because you know that's one of the entryways into information security. Yes, we've had talks on SOC, Uh, we've had talks on, you know, OSINT related stuff. I mean, it's just it's it's really gotten where it's a mix. It's not the same stuff all the time. We did have one one episode recently because I know a lot of the people from the community have missed going to. The Dallas Hackers Association, so I had like a, a panel one night with, with Tinker, Wirefall, and, and Whiskey Neon, had them on to ask, and actually Jason Street was like a guest host, him and, and El uh, Marquez, ah. El were, we're on, and co-hosts, and so yeah, it covers different things, so it's just whatever you know, whatever someone comes up they want to present on. We had uh, one of the guys that helps host the Pwn School meetings, he did a talk on how his job he scammed a scammer so these people were trying to scam them so he played along with it to try to get information to help uncover the scammers so we have interesting stuff all the time we have a That's guy fun. in the community named jeff carroll he's kind of like the ipv6 guru so he's done a couple talks on ipv6 nice from a hacking perspective and yeah, we've had like a couple different talks on home lab so it, it changes it's and we're always looking for people to the interesting thing was when i started I was prepared to, to basically give a lesson each month, but it's become, it's not real structured, but people from the community were asking me if they could present. And the good thing is, is having the opportunities where people can present because not everyone has the time to start their own meetup, but everyone usually has time to present somewhere every once in a while. And so like the first three meetings, like when I launched Pwn School and put up, you know, any, you know, information about it, I had volunteers to present at the Pwn School meetings.
0: That's so. so awesome. I love getting all those different perspectives. So pretty much like people can come into Pwn School with any knowledge base and leave with something that they can understand, right? It's not going to all be over their head or at least they can go Google some stuff afterwards.
1: Definitely. And then we have a Q&A, so they're able awesome. to get their questions answered in that. So it's. It's pretty good. And plus the Slack channel, you know, people go to the Slack and they have any questions they can ask there. There's people, people in there sharing different resources and stuff. So that's a really good place to get started. If you go to the Pwn School Slack, there's some pen testing stuff, but that's not the main focus because a lot of the senior people on there, the experienced folks on there, their, their backgrounds, not pen testing. They may have interest in pen testing, but a lot of them are working, you know, in security engineering or OSINT or, or different areas like that.
0: Nice. Yeah, I love um, like social engineering and OSINT are two things that I just am super interested in. Um, I would love to have been able to to kind of do more social engineering. Um, you know, if I had, if my life had turned out a little differently, I'm happy where I'm at, but mm-hmm. I would have loved to have done a stint as a social engineer. That that would have been fun. So um I had a question that just I think fluttered away. Oh, so are you gonna try and stay um have some version of a uh of a virtual stream, even when we go back to um in person stuff?
1: Yes, definitely. Because because like I mentioned, we we had started streaming like last year, so that had already been going. So only okay. thing it made it easier for me is I don't have to go somewhere and set up. Now I'm gonna hold right. easier. And it's easier to work with getting other people, you know, trying to get someone's computer to work on your projector and getting this and messing with the sound equipment. Right. The easiest way. So it'll, it'll always be, there'll always be the virtual aspect. I awesome. can see if I ever, if I not saying I would, but if I ever got tired of doing physical meetups, then I would continue with the virtual. Nice. And at some point I may add, one of the things I've been considering is I've been trying to think of next steps to do because, you know, I'd, teach at the school I do workshops and speak at conferences and stuff but I keep trying to think of things to do next And probably one of the things I'm gonna start doing is do workshops outside of conferences just host some weekend workshops because you know there doesn't have to be a conference to do a workshop and then yes. a lot of times with you're teaching a workshop there's so many different things to choose from you know I may be doing a web app pen testing workshop or a network pen testing workshop but someone's working in you know a sock there's a really good sock talk so you have to choose so I figure if i do these on separate standalone events then it's easier for people to to be able to attend it and it's not conflicting with something that that takes a priority learning wise
0: that sounds amazing i i have some friends now who are trying to set up and do something similar with like um doing like twitch and going through like setting up a home lab or setting up you know like a like a pie hole or whatever and, and just something simple that you can do in like an hour and if people want to follow along and do it from home they can and like uh, that's awesome i would absolutely adore watching like a web app pen testing um workshop that sounds cool so awesome that's so cool so okay of course you know how to ask right tell us a story about the bear okay so okay.
1: So the bears. So back when I was, I was pro wrestling back then, I worked in a nightclub as a bouncer because Can I was, you, I'm sorry, I
0: don't mean to interrupt. Can yeah. you define pro wrestling?
1: Yeah. Pro wrestling is the, the, the fake stuff on TV. Okay. It's sort of funny because back then we used to joke because the Olympic wrestling or high school wrestling or collegiate wrestling, we called wrestling, but we said the fake stuff is wrestling. Wrestling. <laughs> because <there's some> people <laughs> call it wrestling, but they, pronounce it a wrestling so, uh that's so funny yeah i was i went to because when i graduated high school i didn't have a plan i didn't take high school serious enough so my grade point average wasn't high enough so when i went to the college entrance exams since i had like a c average in high school i was gonna have to get 10 letters of recommendation and the lazy side of me said that's okay i'll just pass right. so I, I just passed on it and some of my friends since i was a powerlifter and was a big guy they said why don't you go into pro wrestling and so I thought that sounds kind of interesting It actually sounds kind of fun. So I went to a wrestling school and wrestled for a couple for professionally for a couple years, once I got out of uh, wrestling school. But while I was going through, while I was wrestling professionally, I wasn't making enough to make a living. So I was working part time as a, a bouncer in a nightclub. And so on Sundays they would have special events, you know, Friday and Saturday nights, they had bands sometimes I think Thursday nights, but Sunday nights, there was nothing going on. So they'd have special events and so they brought in this wrestling bear and since it was planned out ahead of time and I was one of the the uh locals and a bouncer people knew me from the club then they took like my wrestling promo picture and a picture of the bear to market it the the bear wrestling was open to anyone that wanted to try it but they used me to market the event so so I did it people asked me why did you wrestle a bear I thought it's 20 you know tell them I'm 22 years old guys when they're young do stupid stuff sometimes we don't outgrow it but I mean. That should be enough there. I was 22 years old and you asked me are, why. Are you
0: kidding me? I'd wrestle a bear right now. I'm 41. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am that person. If, if I, and then holy shit, if you gave me a couple of drinks, I'd be like, fuck yeah, bring the beer on. Like, I'm totally that person. Like, I would have... Had I been there, I, I would have been right after you. I would have been like, bring it on. That's so funny. So tell, but tell me, so like, what's bear wrestling? Like, how do you get the bear up there? Like, what is that? Tell me how that starts. Walk me through that.
1: Pretty interesting because this wrestling there, it wasn't, this wasn't the first wrestling bear. And this was kind of a thing that was going on. This was like back in 87. So this wasn't anything new. And bears have been wrestling for a while, and there was various size of bears. This is like a 750 pound. Not sure if it's a brown bear or black bear, whichever whichever is the biggest, because the the other one is like 300 or maybe to 500 pounds. This is like a 750 pound bear. Holy cow! The way they normally would train them is the bear would stand up on their hind legs, and people could take them down. But they train this bear to wrestle setting. You know, they got a broader base. It's harder to get them over, and so try to take them down. So this bear they taught the set to wrestle and he would actually wrestle with you. He would grab your legs to take your legs out from under you.
0: That's so, so
1: cool. I wrestled him twice that night. The first time, the first time I wrestled him, I was known everyone else was going before me and I noticed they were standing straight up and the bear would just sweep their legs. He'd take his front leg or front paw and, and pull people's legs out from under him and take them down. Because in the bear picture of me, you can see where he's got a hold of my legs, but I knew to get down in wrestling position to kind of get forward like in a lineman stance with my legs back, you know, right. kind of stance. And so he could he could get on my, hold my legs, but my, my levers, you know, my balance was where he couldn't take me down, but he would take people down. So I was trying to, you know, get in there, try to take him down, but it was like trying to move a parked car. So you ever went up to a car and tried to kind of move, you know, move the car to barely move a little bit. That's what it was like trying to move this thing. Right. It felt near impossible but the picture is oh actually the second time I wrestled the bear. The first time I wrestled him, whoever did the best won a bar tab and won the shirt. And how I know which time that was I wrestled the bear as I was, I was wearing the yellow shirt that I won, it said I wrestled Samson the bear and lost. So I s- switched into that shirt. So that's how I knew which time it was when they, from the picture. Nice. But whoever did the best won a bar tab. It was like a $40 bar tab, but since I worked at the nightclub, <laughs> And knew the bartenders, it turned into an unlimited uh bar nice. tab. Nice. And after the first time I thought, man, that's too difficult. Daddy, I'm not gonna do that again. So bar tab later, the manager of the nightclub comes around, will you wrestle the bear again? Sure. <laughs> nice. So I had a hyperextended my foot and end up getting bit. My ring finger got bit. I oh no. It didn't break the it didn't cause any problems. The there was like a referee that was kind of controlling the bear and then someone holding a chain, a leash on the bear to try to control him. And the guy that owned the bear was dressed as the referee. He said, you know, be still, I'll get your hand out. And I remember saying that. And I thought, no, I'm not going to wait for you to get my hand out. He might bite my finger off. So I pulled my, my finger out, end up hyperextending my foot. So I woke up the next morning to a hyperextended foot was limping around. I had to go to the doctor and get it x rayed and luckily. Uh, there was and a bear bite. But the interesting thing about, too, the guy that was the handler for the bear, the guy that had the bear on the chain, it actually actually wrestled bears himself. At this time, the guy had to be in his 40s or 50s. He, worked, he was a prison guard at a federal prison here in Fort Worth, and he, he worked on a prison riot squad. So anytime there was, like, prison riots, they called this guy in to help break up the riots. So I think he was probably a little tougher than the bear
0: right that's crazy so like did they give you anything like any kind of don't do this like at the beginning like um you know like don't don't do this that'll hurt the bear but you can do any of this like was there any kind of direction
1: yeah they kind of told you not to you know not to hit the bear or try to aggravate him but he was like a big tame dog i remember okay he's like a big dog i remember petting him it was and I so really, it's
0: fun to him it's kind of a, it's like when you yeah. when you play with your dog and wrestle around
1: it was kind of yeah it's playful because he never got mad or anything but the thing oh, is that's funny. I think too that, that where when i got bit it wasn't like in a vicious manner but i think part of that was too is you know he's wrestled people and he could smell the alcohol and that may be you know he kind of a red flag for the bear yeah that's so fun. Do they still bear wrestle? I bet it's not legal anymore because even back then with the animal laws and stuff, yeah. they had to let the bear rest so much time between between bouts. So they let went through a whole, you know, several, you know, all the people that wanted to wrestle him the first time and then he rested and you got to go back. So I bet it's not even legal anymore, I would think.
0: I would think as well. I, I, I'm such an animal lover, but like, I would love to wrestle a bear in a very animal-friendly way, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, especially, like, if it's, he's, I, I, yeah, I'm sure there's probably issues with having a tame 700-pound bear. That seems like something that is going to end up on a Netflix special, but <laughs> yeah, that's so cool, though. That's yeah. fun. And like you said, this was back in 1987 Yeah, is when you did this, so...
1: There's probably there's a lot of liability issues too, because there's been a lot of lawsuits over all sorts of stuff over the years. And I'm sure oh, yeah. you know, nightclubs is not gonna let someone come in and wrestle a bear because they get hurt, they're gonna stare at the see the nightclub.
0: I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're bringing a bear into a nightclub. Yeah. ahead, wrestle him. <laughs> that's so 80s. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, 50 with my mullet.
0: Oh my gosh, that's right. You did have a mullet in that picture. Oh, that's so much fun. It
1: was so, tough. Thinking back to the mullet back last year i th- one of my wrestling pictures came out my re- wrestling promo picture and it's kind of funny here locally people were using it for their phone background or, or lock cover and i remember going to DerbyCon, and even like uh uh caitlin bowden had it for her screen protector because she's my adopted hacker daughter so <laughs> that's
0: awesome i love it I know, like, because you know, I've called you, you know, the infosec Chuck Norris, on uh, online. Although I would venture to say you're probably more badass than Chuck Norris, because I've never seen him wrestle a bear. But uh, yeah, that's so much fun. So, um, before you got into infosec, what did you do before then?
1: What led me into infosec is whenever I I got out of uh, wrestling, I did a bunch of different manual labor and retail sales type stuff. And, you know, because I had to have, I got married and I needed a steady income, you know, more of an income that I was making, trying to wrestle. Mm -hmm. So I worked a lot of different jobs. And one of the things I learned one time I was working in a jewelry store and the people on the jewelry store wanted to, you know, train me to be an assistant manager. It seemed like I had a career path, but there was another manager running the store and there was other people working in the store that he preferred for that, that role. And so it just didn't work out. And so I thought, you know, I've got to, learn something, get some kind of trade that I'm able to excel because I perform well. And if I want, you know, work hard, I can get ahead and, and do well. So I ended up going to a trade school and learning CAD. So I learned AutoCAD and was a CAD draftsman. So I did that for a while. And that's how I found out about sysadmin, the sysadmin role. But interesting enough, consider, you know considering your background in law enforcement, one of my first jobs, I worked for a company doing AutoCAD uh, that we designed electronic security systems for for correction facilities and prisons. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so that was my first job there. But, you know, once I got in, the interesting thing was, is when I started CAD school, I was like one of the worst with computers. This was like in 92 and 93. And my, I actually I guess like 93 to 94. So my computer skills, no one really used computers a lot back then. So I hadn't really had much exposure to a computer outside of being on Prodigy playing video games back then.
0: Amen. I was
1: on so prodigy too. But yeah. so once I got into CADs, got through CAD school and working at working in different places that didn't have dedicated it, I would figure out how to fix things and found out I had more of a knack for computers. So I taught myself how to build computers, took a Nobel Netware networking course. And so then I got a job on a Netware upgrade and rollout and then got started in sysadmin admin stuff. So I did that for a little over six years. And then I moved into security. I got interested in security. So really my career, what I've done once I got an IT, really actually from being a CAD draftsman, from starting a real professional career, I just followed my interest and it's really worked out. You know, stuff I was passionate about and liked, and was interested in, just follow what I did. And just fortunately it's been things that's paid well.
0: That's actually with different steps, exactly what I did. I just, I, I followed what I was interested in. I grew up and... Um, you know, my parents worked corporate and they always just seemed tired and exhausted and not happy at the end of the day. And I remember lots of stress and, you know, I mean, I didn't realize back then that part of that is just adulthood. Right. But I remember thinking to myself, I'm never going to work somewhere that I don't love. Like if I don't love what I'm doing every day, I'm not going to do it anymore. And I have been really blessed, you know, my, my my path is completely untraditional and I usually have to explain it, um, you know, like when I, well, I, I'm, I have a job now, but like when I was looking at, at different jobs and like they'd be like, so you are a police officer and now you're in infosec how did that you know go down and and um and so and it, it's it's logical when i explain it you know i, I got into doing online crimes and doing cyber crimes and some other types of online stuff and i got trained in how the internet works and then i got into digital forensics and like the doors just opened in front of me and i'm one of those people that um i generally am not timid i just like boulders through a door that i see open that looks like it might be fun on the other side and um and so far it's worked out for me so but exactly the same thing like i just kept following my interests and it's led me here. I'm super thrilled about it. But yeah, I love when I get to hear other people's stories of how they got here because nobody's is the same. And I love when people are able to say that they started as a pro wrestler and then they were able to work their way through it. Because I think like, there's so many people out there who are interested and not just the people who are like, oh, that looks like it pays well, but the people who are legitimately interested, but don't know how to get into it or just have that imposter syndrome and think that they can't from where they're at. And so I I love when we're able to like chat about it and go, yeah, no. And in just a few years, you can absolutely be you know it doesn't take long to get into it like a sock role you yeah. know, with the right with the right information and the right knowledge and you know nobody expects you to know everything when you get into these roles. It's too there's too much right. Like on the team that I work on, we have you know a handful of people and like everybody has different skill sets and that's what's the coolest thing is like if I have a question about you know, PowerShell, I know who to go to. If I have a question about malware analysis, I know who to go to. Like it's, you know, everybody has their different, um, yeah. their different things that they bring into it. And I always tell people like, don't think that just because right now you work at a help desk or you're not even in computers, you just like computers and you're interested in hacking. Like you, I have a friend right now who, um, Ended up falling into IT from an English professor. He was an English major, not professor, English major, and he kind of fell into IT and then was like, "Oh, I really like this," and reached out to me and and currently works doing um, partially IT for a um, for a large doctor practice and was like, you know, I think I want to like do what you do. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like the opposite of the gatekeepers. I'm the fuck. Yeah. I get in. let's go. Let's, let's yeah. hack some shit. Mm-hmm. Like, so, when, yeah. So, and he's going through, he just sent me a picture actually of his security plus book that he's, that he's studying right now. And like, that makes me super excited when people just like go, you know what? Like, like fuck the negative speak in the back of my head. I'm just going to do it and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to go for it. And, and I, I, like, that's so awesome. I feel like you and Dollar hackers have like created an environment for people to really flourish there. And I hope that like other people around, you know, the world continue to do that. And like the ripples that you guys have started, I hope they make huge waves everywhere else.
1: And that's one of the things too, you look at like the bug bounty community, a lot of people are that way. It's similar there. I think as with the younger generations, it's getting better. A lot of this stuff, you know, back when I was early in it, you know, you had people that were the, they weren't telling one because this is like their job security. If they're the only one knows how to do this, you know, they're not going to lose their job or they look smart. And now it's like people realize that when you're on the job you teach other people to do it, you can take a vacation because you don't have to stay there because you you know, you're, you're, you know, You've got people to back you up and it's better to help people i mean it's but i think culture is changing in general especially the younger people and i think one of the things with the hacking scene and security scene here in dallas is that people are getting into it are seeing the examples that the people in a community are setting and they're continuing that on and trying to help other people as well
0: i think and i think too like when you help other people if everybody got into this for the right reason, which is to make things more secure, right? Being security conscious and we're trying to, and it's, it kind of even falls along with the line of what we were saying before about like, trying to help people, like when we have, when we're trying to help people, right? There's a lot of people out there who don't understand security and don't understand that when somebody calls you on the phone and says that they're with the IRS and you're gonna go to jail, if unless you give them, you know, $400 of Target cards, like they don't understand that. And the more knowledge that we share, the more secure that we get, and the better that we're helping not only our own little community, but our community at large and the those other people out there. So I feel like, especially when we, you know, like you said before, everybody has different skill sets. And so there might be somebody that's way better at, you know, red team and somebody who's way better at blue team. And when you help them along, you're really kind of helping, you know, everybody, not just the hacking community, but just kind of, you know, everyone you're helping make things safer. Um, Yeah. I think I feel like I'm rambling, but you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's, there's so many things that come when you help one person, it just continues on and, and, a, and a ripple effect.
1: Yeah. That's some great points. And I really think that we can't do enough in educating people that are not technical. Cause then of my cousins call me, uh, he lives in Mississippi, he's got a mechanic shop and someone up North had called him to replace a transmission. I mean, they're not going to have their car sent, there but they're trying to do one of the scams where they're going to say i'm going to send you a check for this will you send me four thousand dollars back and he's not used to the scams he works in a small town and doesn't really expect that so he called and asked me because he knew my background and said no they're trying to scam you so just that and then your friends that will send you stuff on facebook messenger that oh they click on someone's their credentials and they send it to you yeah, I always make sure to turn and let them know because you know someone's sending you that you put your credentials in there now they can log in as you that's a a very simple hack But just educating people on that stuff is big but the thing back to just helping people in general the 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 cool thing about the whole thing is sometimes it's just even beyond the technical part when you get someone that has the imposter syndrome they have the lack of confidence and they you they send you a dm or they're just having a bad day and they're saying, do you ever experience this? Sharing that with them, let them know. So yeah, I have my doubts about myself and problems with my confidence all the time. So yeah, I know exactly what you're doing, you know? So just the human element of just sharing. Sometimes it's just, I like the, in this uh, community because it's a way just to share as humans and, and help each other out and support each other when we need it the most.
0: I totally agree. And that's actually one of the things I found from the Twitter community, the Twitter InfoSec community the most, and I always encourage people, the Twitter InfoSec community has a ton of drama. However, um, I mean, that's, that's any family, right? You, you have a bunch of drama, but what I found is that, like, my confidence and my abilities has definitely increased um, since I've been able to interact with people like you and just a ton of other people that, you know, there's times when I feel like there's no way that I could do this. There's no way that I could have a podcast. There's no way that I could speak somewhere. And like, and then these people are like, no, you can absolutely fucking do that. Just do it. Right. And, and I go, all right, like I'll, I'll put in that CFP. I will start this crazy podcast. And like, things just continue and I and I feel like my greatest um advice to people is like just do it like it doesn't matter what the like because when every time that I've done something when so I just recently put in for um besides Boston, and I've never spoken about InfoSec before in a presentation. I've done presentations on tons of other law enforcement things, um, stress management, and a bunch of other stuff that doesn't relate to InfoSec, but I've never done an InfoSec talk, and um, I was wanting to get into that. I wanted to give back to the community, and that's something that I always enjoyed doing in my previous career, but I was like, you have nothing to offer these people. Like, what are you gonna talk about? And so I, I've been thinking about it and thinking about it and it's been like two years coming and I finally, the, the Boston um, B-Sides CFP came out and I had like 24 hours and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Like, and, and I had been, what's funny is, you know, so I work for FireEye and I just recently started with them about eight months ago and and I ended up, because you know, ended up with the marketing team on something else about women in, in cybersecurity, and they kind of kept reached out, and I've had a few little articles here and there, and they were like, hey, you know, are, have you ever thought about speaking? And I'm like, ha, yeah yeah, I have, (laughs) you know, what am I going to talk about? And I kind of pitched my idea to them and they were super into it. And like, they were, they were sending me like CFPs. This was right before COVID. So everything kind of like changed, but, um, they were sending me CFPs to put in for, and honestly, like I didn't put in for any of them because I just, I had this imposter syndrome that was so ingrained inside my head that like, you're not ready for this. Who are you? You've been here this short amount of time. You've only been in InfoSec for a couple of years. And, you know, what do you have to contribute? And I finally was able to just be like, for a moment, I was able to say, shut up. And I put it in. And then I was like, and then after I submitted, I kind of laughed to myself, like, whenever that's that at least you put in, right? Like I felt like that was my thing. Like I got over my ability to say, no, you can't, or you shouldn't. And I put in for it. And then here come a couple of weeks later. And I get a, I get a message on LinkedIn where the guy was like, I keep getting a mailer demon that you're, you know, I keep getting it back, but we're trying to tell you that we accepted your CFP and i was like no fucking shit you didn't like i remember sitting there looking at the message like oh, oh it just got real <laughs> but like i want people to know that it doesn't matter like and i kept thinking to myself because my talk is about soft skills i'm talking about you know cultivating an investigative mindset and i feel like i feel like with the right you know whatever kind of the right knowledge and the right exercises anybody can do that. Um, And I think that that's more, that's not more important, but I think it's as important as your technical skills is to be able to figure out how to think outside the box and think critically and, and troubleshoot and that kind of thing. So that's what I'm going to talk about. But like, at first I kept thinking to myself, you know, I would hear the mumblings of like, oh, there's a lot of, it's a lot of soft skills. I want more tech technical, you know, talks. I want to, like when people would go to conferences and and they they wanted to see more technical stuff. And I kept, so in my head, I kept thinking, I don't have that to offer, right? Because I'm not the best hacker, but I do have something, right? That other people don't. I finally was able to just kind of grab a hold of that and and just say, all right, well, we're going to do it. And, um, and so my, so again, like to circle back around, I, I tell people like, no matter what, like, no matter how you feel about yourself, if this is your goal, if you have a goal to do X, just do it. Yeah. Just kind of, even if you have to say to yourself in your mind, let's see, right? I might fail <laughs> miserably, but at least let's try it and let's do it and then just you know try your hardest i think that's i think that's the biggest thing here is try your hardest
1: definitely and and just kind of you know echoing your comments about just get out there and doing it some of the best successes and, and best experiences i had i just went and did it i remember back in 2001 I didn't have an associate's degree but i found out actually the college district i worked for one of their other campuses they gave you credit for certifications i had my mcsc nice cne uh, Cisco CCNA and the CISSP, so they gave me college credit for those. But it was funny because I had told my wife one day I was thinking about going back to school. Well, I'm enrolled, and ready to go to school, and she was surprised that I did it. And then when I got ready to start phone school, I told some friends that I was going to do this, and then here I am out, you know, that weekend looking for venues to to host the the meetups, and it was a good it was a good experience. And anyone, you know it's a really great opportunity to start some meetup, start podcasts, webinars, streaming, because some, you know, some of the best opportunities I've got was from that. Cause I, I connected with some of my best friends in the community now, just because I was wanting to help people. They really admired that. And we became friends just because of that like uh, thinking or goal.
0: I think you and I have a lot in common when it comes to like, all right, I'm going to do this. Let's do it. And just kind yeah. of jump on board. And and I'm very much that person. I, um, same with you. So like, I actually, my, my bachelor's degree is in applied psychology and I wanted to be a therapist. Um, specifically I wanted to deal with chronic stress and, um, like PTSD and that kind of thing. And, um, I, after, just after I finished my my degree, which took me a while, so for people out there who are like, oh, I'm too old, like, hell no, you're not, um, I I finished it and then I started getting into forensics and I got hooked up with a task force and I was like, I remember reaching out to my, my dad and I said, and he was a software engineer. And and I said, am I stupid to think about going back to school to get another degree in computers? Cause like, I'm really kind of liking it. And he said, he's the most amazing man ever. Um, he, he always encouraged everything, but he said, it's never crazy to get into computers anytime. And I was like, and it, and it was his like kind of support that I was like, all right, let's do this. And then I was talking to somebody um, that was in the task force and that I was pretty close with. and We did a lot of investigations together and I said, so I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go back to school and, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm looking at I don't know which which computer degree I want, but I'm looking at that. And he said, well, you know, with all of the kind of the same with you, I had gone to a, the Secret Service does a ton of courses that are very similar to like sans. Only with them, you don't pay for it, um, but they have to select you to take the course. And generally, their courses are held, each course is held one to four times a year, and it's, it's capped at 24 people in the class. And so I had been selected for quite a few different classes, and I was super like grateful to go and, and classes that, like, I, I took two different classes that had me gone for over a month where they put us up in a hotel and bust us to and from. And and so he was like, you know, because of those classes, you can actually apply for the digital forensics program at the University of Central Florida, which was, I lived in Florida at the time and UCF was um, not far away and uh i was like really and he said yeah i said you just have to put a cv together and you know submit all your stuff and what's cool about ucf's masters program and, and that was for their masters program and um and what's cool about them is that you can submit i forgot what they call it but it's like a pre application where you send them all your stuff and they go yeah you're good before paying the you know 50 dollar application fee or whatever it is they'll let you know if pretty much, like, do you qualify to get into this program? And so um, they came back and they basically said, yep, everything looks good. And so I put in my application and I was accepted. And um, and so, like, who would have thought? Like, I had a bunch of anxiety about getting into that program without, you know, like, a formal four-year degree in computers in some type of computer science-related course. And, like, it, there was definitely some times that I had to do – a ton of extra research on my own to learn the things so that I could understand the things they were teaching me, right? Like there was knowledge gaps that I had, but I just jumped into it because I was like, well, at least that's four years. I don't have to take, you know, just to get into this program. And yeah, it ended up working out for me. But I love that you do the same thing that you just kind of go, you know what? Like, cause I was the the, the podcast for me, I kind of talked about it for a couple of months and I finally was like, all right, it's time to shit or get off the pot. So like we got to do something. And and um it's been it's been fun. Like I like the fact that we get to do this, right? Like we get to chat and other people are going to get um, are going to find value in it because we're talking about things that they're interested in and it helps even I've noticed that, um, just sharing your struggles, sharing your triumphs, sharing just everything kind of that you go through in in this, not in, in just regular real world, as well as the struggles and trying to, um, you know, find your way through InfoSec. People really, there are people out there that listen and are watching, and are inspired by what you do, even if it's a failure, just getting back up and keeping going, like people are really into it. So I, I, I feel like I feel like we're kindred spirits. Like mm-hmm. you like to help, I like to help. And I love when we get to help other people. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah, it's interesting on the whole helping theme because it's kind of funny before I started teaching, I used to watch, and I still up until social isolation, I used to go see a lot of movies I would usually see over 100 movies a year. And I started keeping track about 2016 or 2015 because people would ask me, how many movies have you seen? And I didn't know. So I just started keeping a little spreadsheet of all the movies. And I noticed in 2018, I thought, I'm not going to make my 100 movies this year because I'd you know, been teaching. I started Pwn School. I was a Bug Crowd Ambassador. So a lot of outside normal work hours activities. But the one of the things I noticed is I was a lot happier, you know? even though I've seen less movies, just by helping people. And like they say, it's better to give than receive because I just know from, 100%. I feel like I get so much more from giving than probably what the person's getting out that little bit of time I spend with them.
0: Yes, a hundred percent. I I feel that way as well. When I have such a good time, like I get to chat with people that are so cool and that people want to talk to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you tinker um, Wirefall, fall, like uh, probably my favorite podcast is when I get to just chat with somebody that I have admired and like wanted to hang out with. And like, we have a purpose for it. Right. Yeah. And, um, like the, it's, it's my made up reason. Like I, I actually just recently, um, by the time this airs, it will have already happened. But my my team that I work with at FireEye, I, I love these people. They're amazing, and um, when I when I interviewed, actually, I my recruiter was really awesome. And he said, interview them just as much as they interview you. Right. Because I was moving, I was moving from Florida up to DC. And he's like, that's a big deal. So make sure you like these people. And that was my thing. I wanted to make sure that I liked the people I worked with. And, um, and when I asked, I asked every single one of them, what do you think of the other members on the team? And of course I was doing a little bit of detective social engineering. Like I knew nobody was going to be like, Oh, Bob, he's lazy. Like I knew nobody was going to say anything negative really about their team. I was looking for the body language and how they responded to me. And everybody responded super quickly and they and honestly. And I could feel the honesty in what they said. But the one that got me was one of my coworker when I said, What do you think these people and he and we had already I I had already gotten a rapport with him. I asked him about him, where did he come from and all that kind of stuff. And when I asked him, So what do you think of the other members on the team? And he says, Oh my gosh. He says, they're amazing. And he had already told me about his previous jobs. And he says, you know, like those people, he said, we got along well, we worked well together. He says, but these people, he says, I can honestly say these people are my friends, not just my coworkers. And I was like, that's the team that I want to work with. I want to work with people who want to who be friends with the people that they work with. And um, I actually started some, um, some happy hours Based on our team, our team right at the very beginning, we had gone, um, we went, we went uh, uh, remote pretty early on in COVID because we had already been fifty percent remote, so it was super easy to be like, and eh, we're not going back to the office. And uh, but I've been wanting to like do a podcast with all of them because we have this amazing work culture, and really I just want to hang out with them and drink. But, like, I had to come up with a good reason, right, to, like, let's have a podcast, let's get all of us together, and we get to chat, and, yeah, so that's why I put this together, but what's funny is, like, when people reach out to me, and I get to help them a little bit, like, I still feel it's, it doesn't even, I I can't even... I can't, it it doesn't compute in my head that I can help people, right? Like I'm out here just having fun and trying to help myself and figure out, like, I love getting to talk to people like you because, and I have a couple more questions before we, before we get, um, before we wrap it up. But like, I love learning about pen testing. I love trying to like pull vulnerable VMs and try and hack into them. I love that. That's super interesting to me. Um, I talked to um, uh, the guy who runs the Elliot Alderson account. Um, are you familiar? Yeah. Yeah. F Society. So I, I talked to him actually a few days ago about reverse engineering, which I find super fascinating. And like, I just, I think to myself that I'm using this just for my own knowledge base, but then it helps other people. And that's, that's even more so like the most awesome part. And I think people who, it doesn't matter right anytime you help somebody out it doesn't matter how small or how big like it's going to come back to you you get more of the feels than they do and hopefully that person decides to emulate that later on
1: sometimes what's interesting is the most minor things you do sometimes you get the best feedback from i had someone that i'd met at b-sides dfw last november and he had connected with me on linkedin and said Yeah, I just wanted to connect with you and thank you and thank you for being an inspiration. He said you're not my officially my mentor, but I feel like you are. So it's just nice to be able to help people just from what you're doing without indirect without directly you interacting.
0: And sometimes, like I, I had a guy when I left the police department who I had had some minor interactions with, mostly when I would get called out to scenes as a detective. And, and he came into the office um, on one of my last days and said, I just wanted to wish you well and to thank you for, um, for just kind of like you know always being nice and you know and and always being helpful and willing to help and willing to teach and like i honestly like i remember him i know his name we but i but when he came in i thought wow like of all the people that i've interacted with and all the people that i've taught and tried to take under my wing that I, he wasn't on my radar as somebody who I had impacted at all. And that was crazy to me to think you can impact somebody that you don't even know. You can impact somebody that you don't really ever interact with. And I think we should all just try to be good freaking humans because we never know when that person's going to be there that we might do something yeah. that that makes them feel like, thank you, that's what I needed that day. Um, okay, so last question before we wrap it up. So if we had somebody who was absolutely brand new to um, InfoSec, doesn't have any certs, is, you know, they, they have nothing to do, they're technical, right? They know, how to, they know how to navigate themselves on a computer. And they said, I want to get into pen testing. What would be what would be your advice to them? Some resources, where to start, um, whatever. Like they said, I want to get into pen testing, where do I go?
1: Yeah, if they, if they just like if they had like the basic networking and new operating systems, then I would say, you know, uh a good resource would be Georgia Weedman's book, The Penetration Testing, a hands-on guide to uh ethical hacking. That would be a good resource because it takes you through. Shows you how to build your own labs. Also, Pentester Academy has got great stuff for people just learning, and the uh, junior pen testing course that we learn security. The nice thing about like eLearn Security and uh, Pentester Academy is they take people as they give you enough details that someone that's a beginner to that area can learn. Whereas if you try to start something like SANS or Offensive Security, they expect you to have a little bit of experience, but these other courses. They give you enough information that you're able to learn. You know, when I was getting into pen testing, I'd run vulnerability scanners, had a security background, but no actual pen testing or hacking experience. And I went through the OSCP and I had to study other things because at the time, the course was where you had to have some kind of background in it. So I'd do a lot of outside study. And so like those resources I mentioned are really good for someone that hasn't worked in it before. They go into more detail and they really show you the basics to help you get started. What about Pwn School? Yeah, Pwn School's good. And one of the things I say for anything is someone's looking for any area to go into, look at other areas too. There may be something you like better. And one of the things I also like to, you know, tell people is yeah, hacking ethical hacking, you know, penetration testing, red team sounds fun, but there's a lot of other areas that are fun too. Just like threat intel, uh, threat hunting. There's a lot of really cool stuff. A lot of the stuff the defenders are doing, digital forensics, that stuff's pretty cool. Yeah. Been doing digital forensics for a couple years, and you know, she had worked for a software company for years, and she's loving it and doing really well. So, I mean, it's just I just think really anyone getting into the field before you get really set on something, look at what else, all else is out there.
0: It's such a it's you know, every time somebody puts out one of those like diagrams of all the different, um. All the different areas in InfoSec that you can go into. I imagine that somebody coming into InfoSec is like, holy cow, where do I start? But I feel like too, like whatever first grabs your fancy, just go for it. Because yeah. if you get into that and you start learning pen testing, you might find that you would rather be a security researcher and you want to like, you know, look at things from building blocks and or you might go well, this is really interesting, but now I want to know how to defend it, right? Because I feel like defending, coming from both angles, defending sometimes can be so much more difficult. And if you have a little red team experience, a little bit of how pen testers work and what their methodology is, you can be a much more amazing blue teamer, having that knowledge of how, you know, if you, it's, you're you're thinking, thinking like a hacker, how are they gonna try and get in and and what do I have to do to defend
1: it? Yeah, the thing about being a defender versus a pen tester is you really need to make sure you've got everything set because you can get breached. I mean, we're testers, we're looking for the places you could get breached, but the defenders, they've gotta make sure it's- All of them. An interesting story about people changing directions in the industry is there's a, a guy local here named David Cowan He's actually like a sans instructor. He, he he's done sans instructor instruction for some of the digital forensic stuff. But he started out as a pen tester, but he got out of it because he was going doing pen tests. He would come back and do a pen test again and find out they didn't remediate the stuff. So he felt like he was wasting his time doing the pen test. So he moved into digital forensics and the guys are rock star.
0: Nice. <laughs> nice.
1: Yeah,
0: I find like doors are always open for us wherever you know, wherever we have interests. That's so awesome. Well, thank you so much. We've, I think we're about to, we're probably a little over our hour, but I'm I'm so thankful that you joined me. This has been a ton of fun. I have so many more questions I could ask, but I'm just excited that we got to spend this hour together.
1: Well, oh, great Great uh, being a part of your show and it's great talking to you. So.
0: Thank you so much. All right, well, thanks everybody who, who stayed with us and hung out if you drink with us you get brownie points so we'll talk to everybody soon thanks everybody